Hello everyone and welcome to the August 17th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A Superior Court judge has ordered Uber and Lyft to classify their drivers as employees. The Attorney General, joined by the City Attorneys of Los Angeles, San Diego and San Francisco filed the lawsuit against the defendants, Uber and Lyft. The government asserts that the two companies have misclassified their ride-sharing drivers as independent contractors rather than employees in violation of Assembly Bill 5, a new law, which took effect on January 1. That statute was intended to ensure that all workers who meet its criteria receive the basic rights and protections guaranteed to employees under California law. The people moved for a preliminary injunction in joining the defendants from classifying their drivers as independent contractors. The companies opposed the motion and also filed a motion to stay the litigation until the federal Ninth Circuit rules on Uber's pending constitutional challenge to AB 5 and until the November 2020 election, when the voters will consider Proposition 22, a ballot initiative sponsored by the two companies that would exempt them from the requirements of AB 5. The court ruled on these motions after first declaring that the defendants are not entitled to an indefinite postponement of their day of reckoning. The judge also announced that their threshold motions were groundless, and the case kind of went downhill for the two defendants from there. A footnote in the case also proclaimed that the court gave no weight to surveys regarding how many of their drivers wish to become employees or remain self-employed. The order also said that a lawsuit is not a popularity contest, nor, as the defendants argue, is it the court's role to decide whether AB5's effects on drivers will outweigh its benefits. It concluded by saying policy judgments underlying a statute are left to the legislature. The judiciary does not pass on the wisdom of legislation. At the conclusion of the 34-page ruling, it was ordered that Uber and Lyft are enjoined and restrained from classifying their drivers as independent contractors. The injunction was stayed for a period of 10 days to allow the two companies the opportunity to appeal. Uber said it planned to file an immediate, immediate emergency appeal to block the ruling from going into effect. The Labor Commissioner's Office has reached a $26 million settlement with the owners of Home Japanese Seafood and Buffet in Daly City. It will provide compensation for 133 workers for unpaid minimum wage, overtime, and split shift premiums that were uncovered in a 2018 wage theft investigation. The settlement will also compensate the workers for Warren Act violations which occurred when the restaurant closed without notice. In June 2018, officials issued wage assessments and penalties of $5.16 million to the restaurant, 
which has now been resolved by the $2.6 million settlement. Notification has been delivered to the current and former restaurant workers of their expected settlement payments, and workers began receiving checks this month. The workers are receiving settlement payments ranging from $20 to more than $47,000, with an average of $14,000 per worker. The Labor Commissioner's Office launched its investigation after receiving complaints from workers who reported wage theft. And now our crime report. 23-year-old Melton Hernandez Martinez Jr. was arranged, arraigned at the Merced County Superior Court on multiple felony counts of insurance fraud and a misdemeanor count of filing a false police report after allegedly instigating a physical altercation resulting in a stab wound to his abdomen and arm. At the time of his injury, Martinez was on an approved mid-morning work break while employed with a construction company. During the break, surveillance footage and a witness statement revealed that he made inappropriate gestures to a female in the parking lot and was then confronted by the female's boyfriend, a former U.S. Marine, who asked Martinez to be respectful. Martinez began punching the boyfriend in the face multiple times without provocation. As a result, Martinez was stabbed in the abdomen and the arm, which is later determined to be self-defense by local law enforcement. After being airlifted to a local hospital, Martinez filed a workers' comp claim with his employer and provided false statements in regards to this incident. Advantage Workers' Comp Insurance Company later denied all medical bills in relation to the claim after discovering Martinez was the initial physical aggressor. And toxicology results revealed that Martinez was under the influence of alcohol and cannabis at the time of the altercation. The Merced County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case. A man and his company have been charged with violating the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act by selling a drug claimed to treat COVID-19. Matthew Ringkars and his company Fusion Health and Vitality, DBA Farm Origins, are accused of selling a misbranded drug called Immune Shot. They falsely claimed it would lower consumers' risk of contracting COVID-19 by nearly 50%. Rincars, through his company Farm Origins, created a website earlier this year and began selling Immune Shot for $19 a bottle. Rincars and Farm Origins targeted individuals ages 50 and older with heavy-handed sales pitches. Immune Shot was sold to consumers in the Southern District of Georgia and across the nation, so the defendants were charged by way of an information filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Georgia. And in regulatory news, no wonder drug prices are so high. $2.6 billion, that's how much 
Tufts University Research says it costs to bring a new drug from the research lab to the pharmacy counter. And the full research development and approval process can last from 12 to 15 years. The FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research is a science-led organization in charge of overseeing the drug approval process before a drug is marketed. It ensures that both brand and generic drugs work correctly and that the health benefits outweigh the known risks. In the manufacturer's early phase of drug discovery, called preclinical research, they are synthesizing and screening a drug candidate for toxicity in animals before the medicine moves on to human trials. The sponsor then files an Investigation Review Drug Application, IND, that details specifics such as chemistry, manufacturing, and the initial plans for human testing. The drug then undergoes several years of laboratory testing before a new drug application, NDA, is made to the FDA to begin testing the drug in humans. Only one and one in 1,000 of the compounds that enter laboratory testing will ever make it to human testing. If the FDA gives the green light, the investigational drug will then enter three phases of human clinical trials. Phase 1 involves about 20 to 80 healthy volunteers. They're used to establish their drug's safety and profile, and this takes about one year. Phase 2 trials are roughly 100 to 300 patient volunteers. They're used to assess the drug's effectiveness in those with a specific condition or disease. This phase runs about two years. Phase three typically involves several thousand patients, and they're monitored in clinics and hospitals to carefully determine effectiveness and identify further side effects. This phase runs about three years on the average. Then a group of independent physicians and other clinicians called an FDA advisory board meets to discuss the NDA with the FDA reviewers and manufacturer of the product. After the meeting, the advisory board will make a recommendation for approval or not to the FDA. The FDA often follows the advice of the board, but it is not obligated to do so. After final approval, the drug becomes available for prescriptions by physicians. However, drugs may not come to the market immediately because of patent disputes, manufacturing issues, or controlled substance designation from the DEA. The WCIRB Governing Committee voted to authorize the submission of a 2021 advisory pure premium rate to the California Insurance Commissioner. They propose rates that will be on average about 2.6% above the average approved 2020 advisory pure premium rates. Absent the estimated impact of COVID-19 claims on 2021 policies, the recommendation would have reflected a modest decrease of 1.3% in advisory pure premium rates. 
that WCIRB's recommendation also reflected the impact of the pandemic related to the economic slowdown on wage growth, claim frequency, and claim severity. The WCIRB expects to submit its rate filing to the California Department of Insurance during the week of August 24. The CDI will then schedule a public hearing to consider the filing. The Workers' Compensation Appeals Board is continuing to improve its ability to hold hearings during the COVID-19 pandemic. The following changes are effective this month. They will continue to hear all mandatory settlement conferences, priority conferences, status conferences, case-in-chief trials, lien conferences, and expedited hearings telephonically by way of the individually assigned judges' conference lines. Beginning August 17, the DWC will have a video option available for trials and expedited hearings only. Parties will continue to use individually assigned judges' conference lines on the day of trial. However, judges will have the option of conducting the trial through the judge's virtual courtroom if needed. If that is required, the judge will provide a link to the parties, allowing them to log into the video platform. The DWC will be using the video platform called Life Size. Those who are interested in participating should download the software prior to a hearing where a video option may become necessary. There will not be any charges for participants to use this platform. However, parties will need to have certain system requirements to fully participate in the video option. All parties scheduled for a hearing should continue to call the conference line for the judge in front of whom the case is set at the designated time listed on the hearing notice. The DWC has also begun hearing special adjudication unit lien trials. At this time, all other lien trials will be continued. However, DWC anticipates adding lien trials back to the calendar in the near future. District offices will not hold in-person hearings and will not accept walk-in filings, walk-through documents, or in-person requests at this time. It will only accept electronically filed documents by way of EAMS and JetFile and paper filing by U.S. Mail and the DWC will accept limited email filings pursuant to the WCAB's en banc decisions. The DWC will continue to accept an electronic signature on any settlement documents, applications, pleadings, petitions, or motions that are sent to the district offices or filed in EAMS. For all e-forms, parties should utilize the S-signature as shown in the e-form filing reference guide and the JET file business rules. The WCAB office in San Francisco is operating with limited in-office staff. The WCAB commissioners and staff continue to work remotely. All practitioners are encouraged to regularly check the WCAB and DWC websites for updates, about the district offices and the WCAB's operations during this period.
The DWC has issued a Notice of Conference Call public hearing for a proposed evidence-based update to the medical treatment utilization schedule. The hearing is scheduled for Thursday, September 10 at 10 o'clock a.m. The proposed evidence-based update to the MTUS incorporate by reference the latest published guideline from the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine for the Antimetics Guideline. An antimetic is a drug that is effective against vomiting and nausea. Antimetics are typically used to treat motion sickness and the side effects of opioid analgesics, general anesthetics, and chemotherapy directly against cancer. The DWC is required to have a 30-day public comment period, hold a public hearing, respond to all the comments received during the public comment period, and publish the order adopting the update online. CMS announced the proposed calendar year 2021 updates for the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. The official medical fee schedule for the California Workers' Comp System correlates with the Medicare fees. Hence, the announced changes will have implications in the workers' compensation industry. Simplifies coding and billing requirements for evaluation and management visits will go into effect January 1, saving clinicians 2.3 million hours per year in burden reduction. The proposed rule lists the estimated impacts of the rule's payment changes for each medical specialty, which included the losers as well as the winners. Three specialties fare the best, endocrinology with a 17% increase in fees, rheumatology with a 16% increase, and hematology-oncology with a 14% increase. At the bottom of the list are nurse anesthetists and radiologists, both with an 11% decrease, chiropractors with a 10% decrease, and interventional radiology, pathology, physical and occupational therapy, and cardiac surgery with a 9% decrease. Surgical specialties in general took some of the biggest hits with cuts in every category ranging from 5 to 9 percent. The proposed rule also lists the fee schedule's final conversion factor. This is the amount that Medicare's relative value units are multiplied by to arrive at the reimbursement value for a particular service or procedure. Due to the budget neutrality changes required by law, the proposed 2021 conversion factor is $32.26. This is a decrease of $3.83 from the 2020 conversion factor. And obviously not everyone is happy with these changes. And in other news, a group of janitors who cleaned Safeway stores across the Bay Area protested in Palo Alto to demand safeguards for their health and financial security. Ten janitors contracted to work in northeastern California Safeway stores and they have tested positive for COVID-19. 
About 80 to 100 people showed up for the essential workers' caravan to show support for the contract employees. Many participants decorated their cars and tied balloons to their vehicles. The group is calling on Safeway to add $2 to contracted janitors' hourly wage, which they call hazard pay. That amount is currently offered to janitors who have been directly hired by the supermarket chain rather than by contract. The added compensation would recognize the dangers janitors face at their workplaces. These employees often work night shifts after the grocery stores close to disinfect surfaces and clean bathrooms before customers return the following day. Most janitors are paid $16.20 an hour, a rate that will be renegotiated later this year. Contracted janitors are also looking to receive adequate supplies of personal protective equipment, pointing out that at times they face a shortage of gloves. The group also made calls for the passage of the Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions Act, that's called the HEROES Act. This is a $3 trillion federal package that would issue a second round of stimulus checks and extend a $600 weekly payment for the unemployed. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Skarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.